Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range, or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double breasted black blazer from a new to me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for, but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to improve themselves, overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Welcome and thank you for listening. For my fellow American listeners, I hope you had a fabulous 4th of July. A quick announcement. First off, I was a guest this week on the Life Beats Project. It's a very different interview than the last one I did for the Extraordinary Moms podcast. We go into much more depth about perfectionism for me and how it affected all areas of my life, um, including after I started my official recovery and affected my spirituality, my marriage, and so much more. So this goes into that, and we talk about what it's taken 11 years for me to learn and how, including how I learned to neutralize food. Um, since I have to face my demons multiple times a day, I have learned after 11 years how to do that. So you can find that podcast through my show notes. I've linked that there. I've also linked it on my blog and my Facebook about progress and about progress.com. And you can find Brianna and her podcast and this episode in particular too online at the Life Beats Project. Dot com. That's life as an L-I-F-E-B-E-A-T-S project. It's, it's such a good podcast. It's absolutely one of my favorites. So um, I hope you enjoy and share it. If you'd like to find the show notes, you can check um, those out at aboutprogress.com if you're an- able, unable to uh, connect with them on your app. Um, We've had a few more reviews on iTunes, so thank you so much, guys. I'm now about halfway to my goal of 50, and that matters to me. It really does. Each and every review, I read it all. I read every comment um, anywhere you post or email me, so thank you very much for your involvement. And for those who have filled out the survey, I thank you so much. I actually have no idea how to tell how many of you have taken it. I think they just tell me when I've reached what I'm supposed to get, which is 250, not 200 like I originally thought. So 
it's going to take a while, but that survey is uh, linked on my show notes as well on my website about progress.com and it takes you 30 seconds to fill out. I just double checked it and it, and they just want to know a little bit more about my demographics. Enough about the plugs. Let's get into today's show. Kara Baldwin grew up in my neighborhood, so you'll hear a little more familiarity in this discussion. At 30 years old, Kara found herself with four children, five years old to six weeks old, moving back within her parents and getting divorced. As a huge overachiever throughout her life, this spelled out failure to her in so many ways. Kara had to pick up the pieces of her life and to support her young children, and so she managed to get herself through law school while still making her kids her top priority. Kara talks about how her family and her community helped her get back on her feet and how she eventually fell in love again. She also shares what she did to rediscover the woman she once was, one who believed in herself. Kara is so well-spoken, smart, and seriously funny, so I know you are going to fall in love with her. Hi, I'm here with Kara. Hi, Kara. Hi, Monica. Thanks for being on the show tonight. Can you please give our listeners an introduction? Yeah, my name is Kara Baldwin. I am um, a mother of eight children, four of my own and four stepchildren. I am an attorney, and I have lived in Utah most of my life. So we have a lot to talk about, and a lot that I know our listeners can relate to. You've been through a divorce. I mean, obviously, you have remarried happily, and... We, we have talked about this beforehand. We just want our listeners to know we're going to be talking about some hard topics, but with discretion in mind. And we're going to talk about more about how you picked up the pieces of your life after this really hard divorce that you went through. So before we get into that, I want to know a little bit more about you and set the stage for everyone. And what were you like growing up and what made you who you were uh, pre-marriage? Well, I was always a high achiever. I did really well in school. Good grades were super important to me. I was involved in a ton of things in high school. Um, nothing that like was a pageant talent. Like I don't have any pageant talents. Um, I can't sing or dance or anything like that. But I'm good at other stuff. I'm good at school. I'm good at I think talking to people. I'm good at um, making friends. I'm good at all sorts of things that you could never win a pageant for. Um, and when I grew up, as I was growing up, my mom and dad were awesome. They never, ever taught me that there were things that girls couldn't do or that I couldn't do. So I really thought growing up that I could conquer the world. There was not a single task that I could not accomplish. And so, you know, that's just how I thought about myself and about um, myself going into being an adult. Yeah, okay. So so you started out with this high-achieving um history your whole life and then what was it like uh you went to college tell us about that and then going into the transition to marriage and motherhood so I um got my undergraduate degree in biology and I minored in chemistry and um I loved it I did never change my major I knew exactly what I wanted to do from the moment I started college and I had uh, always planned to go to medical school and then when I was about maybe a year or so away from graduation, I actually talked to your dad, Monica, and oh, really? he told me that, he, yeah, he told me that I needed to be very thoughtful about the career I chose because medicine was a jealous mistress, and I'll never forget that phrase. I've never hmm. forgotten that phrase since he told it to me. Um, what and he what was, he meant? I think he was afraid that because he knew I also wanted to be a mom, and, and I mean, that was, that was only, I think it was 25 years ago, but things have changed so much in the last 25 years. I think in, in the way that your dad thought about it, medicine was a hard career for women in that time, especially in the time when he was going to medical school, I think less so when I would have been going and even less so now, but I really took what he said to heart because I did want to be a mom, even though having a job and having a career was also very important to me. So anyway, bottom line is I, I ended up not going to medical school, although I did, go to graduate school and I got a master's degree in microbiology with a minor in biochemistry and I had planned to work and by that time I had gotten married and my then husband said that he didn't want me to work at all he just wanted me to stay home and be home with our our children and I liked being home I liked being a mom but I always felt like 
that there was more out there that I should be doing, but that was not ever going to be part of the plan while I was married to my first husband. Um, just because that was what was um, set clear for you? Well, I think I think when I'm, no, I don't think, I know. When I, when I married the first time, I was so young and I was so, I don't know if headstrong is the right word, probably. I'd always, like I said, I'd always been able to do whatever I wanted. Like if I set a goal and wanted to do it, then I did it. I accomplished it. And so when I got married, I figured, well, I want to be married and I want to be married well. And so that's going to happen. And it didn't occur to me, I guess, to ask the right questions or to get all the information I perhaps needed. And so I entered into a marriage not fully appreciating kind of the playing field that that was that I was going to be operating in in that marriage. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I think a lot of women can relate to even just the transition to motherhood can be difficult when you have been so achievement oriented your whole life. And, um, and you know, it's not because there aren't achievements in motherhood. There absolutely are, but they're just, they're harder to, um, track, uh, with those little ones. And, um, how many kids did you have, uh, by, you know, by what age? So I had my, I had four children and I had them very fast. I had four kids under five. Wow. Um, my first two kids are 363 days apart. Um, oh, and wow. I just, I did, it wasn't ever intentional. It's just the way that it happened. Um, I'm the, I'm the 1% that doesn't work on birth control. So you're welcome oh, to everybody wow. else who's the 99%. Um, <laughs> but I had my kids so close and so fast and, um, and you're right. I mean, at, you know, there's never any raises. There's never any, like, employee of the month. There's never anything like that at home until you end up having these weird competitions with your girlfriends about whose child walks first and whose child yeah. reads first and whose child talks first because that's the only way that you, that I could figure to kind of mark achievement in what I was doing. Yes. Okay. I can I can totally see that. And I think a lot of that just comes... Uh, with with young motherhood too, I think in time you learn how to let go of all that, and sometimes you're forced to. Um, blessed with <laughs> certain children that humble you to the to the dust. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, how how old were your kids when you were reaching the end of your marriage? So we struggled to stay married the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. But but when I was pregnant with my last baby, I moved home back here to Utah. We were living in California and I moved home back to Utah. I didn't move home with the intention of getting divorced, but Mm -hmm. then things kind of fell apart while I was here. And it became clear to me then um, that I just, we couldn't continue being married. So at that time, my oldest was five and I had a four-year-old and an almost three-year-old. And then I had a six-week-old baby. Oh, Kara. Oh, that's so, that's so hard. Just those little, little ones that that's already stressful enough, you know, just, (laughs) just having those little kids. You know, we talked about how we're, we're going to make it really discreet, but what can you tell us about this time when you, when you decided it was um, a time to end the marriage? Well, I think because we had struggled to stay married the whole time we were married and we were only married for about seven and a half years. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that in order to do to make this decision, it had to be completely my own decision. I knew my parents had an opinion. I knew my friends had opinions. I knew my neighbors had opinions. I knew everybody had kind of position on what I should do. But I knew at the end of the day, I had to look myself in the mirror and be able to say, you made this choice and you did everything that you possibly could to make it work. And I think I did. I mean, you know, for a myriad of reasons, it it didn't work, but I think I did everything I possibly could. And that was, I think I didn't realize it, but being able to say I made that choice in a weird way was the beginning of becoming empowered again to make my own choices because Mm -hmm. it was my first step in putting my life back together in a way that I wanted it to look like and not not the, the train wreck that it felt like it was. Because mm, life felt so out of control for seven and it, a half years. It really did. And and I think because I was a high achiever and I always 
like I said, I mean, I'm a super list maker, accomplish, 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 get stuff done kind of girl. Because I couldn't get that to work, I did feel exactly what you said, completely out of control. And like, you know, I was not at all the master of my own destiny in, mm-hmm. in any way. And that was super unsettling. Yeah. Now I'm just thinking about that phrase, master of your own destiny. So at this time, when you, you are getting a divorce, I'm sure it involves a shattering of your identity or, you know, a shattering of what you had once held as your identity or as your path in your life. What was that like for you when it was time to divorce? I think interestingly enough, because of the way I was married, my uh, my self-esteem took such a hit in my marriage that I felt just ground down to powder by the time I finally got divorced, which mm-hmm. is weird because I had to make this super like strong and forceful decision to get divorced, mm-hmm. but I had never in my life been in a worse position emotionally to make a real decision, which is why mm-hmm. I think it was empowering to kind of compel myself to do that, even though... I, I, this tools for those kinds of decisions had been completely stripped from me in my marriage. But um, I think the hardest part for me was, it was humiliating. I mean, my parents lived in the same neighborhood that I had graduated from high school, you know, in. Mm-hmm. And so there was all these people who had seen me kind of be not like a superstar because that's overstating the case but you know I mean I had it together when I left home the first time and then I come back you know with a, this tiny little family and my life in tatters and no money and a horrible minivan that I abhorred from like a deep part of my soul I hated that car which yeah. is so stupid but it's symbolic <laughs> of like all the things that were wrong I just hated that car anyway um that sounds irrational but it just anyway I it was so such a humiliating process to just stand there and realize wow here I am standing in front of all of these people who knew me as a kid who knew me when I was so much better and cuter and smarter and everything er than I am now um and I have to figure out how to put things back together in front of these people, you know? Like you had a lot of eyes on you during this time. Yeah, yeah. And then, as it turned out, I, I couldn't have asked for a better support system. I mean, I still haven't left mm-hmm. the neighborhood. I bought a house in this neighborhood because I can't leave. I don't want to leave because the people around me infused me with a strength and told me, time and time again you know you can do this like you can you you're you can put your life back together and they didn't even say it in those words but they were just encouraging in ways that none of them will probably ever fully understand and that I will never be able to thank them for but that was such a source of strength for me at that time to be able to have a really amazing support system um, in my extended neighborhood and not just my family and then my parents and my parents are going to heaven, like no matter what they did, yeah. they could they could murder somebody and they would be able to go to heaven because <laughs> they literally saved us. Okay. Um, I'm just curious what shifted then? What shifted in your own mindset of worrying and, and for good reason about all these eyes on you to seeing them as people who you can depend on and who can, can encourage you? to to rise well i think i mean you're familiar with this neighborhood you know what kind of people live here and i think people respond when people first of all when someone that they love and care about is in need but also i was willing to do the work of putting myself back together and i think people saw that and they wanted to cheer me on they wanted they wanted me to succeed because they could see I was working as hard as I could to succeed. And so it was kind of this virtuous cycle where they wanted to, they wanted to cheer me on because I was doing better and because I was succeeding. And so then I could succeed more and then they wanted to cheer me on more. And I think just, uh, it just felt like, like everyone was pulling for me, you know? Oh, so beautiful. And you deserve it. <laughs> I mean, that's when it comes down to it. I, I mean, you're easy to cheer on. 
You know, you deserve it. But I don't think, but you don't feel that. You don't feel that when you're in that position. And I don't, I can't tell you what it is that shifted because I certainly didn't think I was worthy of that cheering on at that point. But, but I was, I just didn't think so, you know? Yeah. Um, And so it was such a gift from my friends and my family to have that so that I could remember I was worth cheering for. So do you, do you think that it was also difficult to transition to uh, literally depending on others? Because you have a lot of that figurative support that you talked about, but I'm sure you had to literally uh, transfer a lot of your responsibilities over to your parents or family or friends to help uh, care for your kids so you could then figure out how you were going to support them and, and, and move upward and onward. I did. And luckily, like I said, I have great, great parents and an amazing brother. My favorite part of this whole story, and <laughs> I get emotional every time I tell this part. My brother is six years younger than me. So he was 24 when I came home and decided to get divorced. He was living on his own back east. He'd lived there. I mean, he'd lived on his own since he was 18. He was in a band and they were starting to get popular, like for real popular. They were, um, you know, the listening stations at the Tower Records store. They were on the listening station and they did some, some, had some music on public radio. I mean, they, and they toured. I mean, they were becoming an actual real life band, not just my brother plays in a garage band kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. But he had this, he had a job and he had a great, a great apartment. He lived with some really good friends. And I called him and said, Dick, I'm coming home. I'm going to stay. I'm going to get divorced. I told him I was going to get divorced. And he, and I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it because it was, I mean, it's hard to come home to your parents. You're 30 years old. You've been a grown up for a while. And then you have to be back. Like, do I have to tell my mom where I'm going? I'm 30. You know, yeah. I didn't know how to navigate all of that. My brother quit his job. He quit his band. He broke his lease and he moved home. Oh my goodness. Just to help me. That is the only reason he moved home was to help me so that I wouldn't have to do that part alone. So that, because I only have him, He's, I just have one sibling, and he and I, we always get along with our parents, but you know how it is when you're a kid, sometimes you have to kind of band forces as kids, yeah. you know, not against parents, but you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and he did that for me, and I will never, ever be able to repay him for that, ever, so I had to rely on him, he's just so gracious, and so kind, and so wonderful that he never made me feel like I was exacting some high price or that this was such a burden on him or that I had, you know, shifted and changed his life in some terrible way. He just was there to love me and love my kids and help me. Oh, there's so many lessons in that. I mean, bravo, right? But it shows a lot about your family system, though, too, that that's how he was raised to be. Yeah, and that's, I can't discount that because I know a lot of women in my position don't have that kind of support. So, yeah, I, I mean, yes, I put my life back together, and yeah, I went to law school and I did these things, but the truth is I had so much help. So if, to pretend it was all me, I did that, that would be completely disingenuous. Well, and there's something to that, too, about accepting the help. I mean, you already are obviously a very independent woman and smart and and strong. But I mean, the way that you could have gone about that was closing off and to not allow people to reach out and to not allow them to help and to to just not let them in. So that takes a choice, too. And what what would you say to someone who might be in, in similar shoes about the importance of letting people help? I think that for me, what I had to finally come to terms with was I, there was just no possible way I was going to be able to take care of my kids long term if I didn't accept the help in the short term. Mm. Yeah. And, and I knew that as hard as it was to, it, humble yourself basically and say hey mom I need you to babysit for free for two years while I or three (laughs) years or four years or seven years you know I need you to do that for me while I go back to school and start my career I mean it just it requires a whole bunch of humble pie and and I don't I think I could look mostly at my kids 
and say to yourself, say to myself, okay, I'm investing in their future because I'm investing in my future. And so for them, I will eat crow. I will do this for them. Had it been just for me, if I had just been single, I, I think I would have, I would have, it would have been different. Mm-hmm. Well, you were, yeah, you were doing it for the, for the greater good of your family. Um, yes. And I love that though. I mean, because sometimes, I mean, the easy choice in that situation is to, to only see your own suffering, you know, that's human nature and you rose above that too. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I want to talk about how you started to take your life back and um, what you did to become the master of your own destiny again. And you mentioned law school. So let's talk about that. What was that choice like to decide to go back to law school? And how soon was it after the divorce? And just tell us about tell us about that whole thing and, and law school with the, the balancing of those all those little kids. So I like I said before, I had always planned to go to medical school. And at one point, actually, when I had left my first husband an earlier time, because it took me more than one try mm-hmm. to be able to, to do that, I had studied for and taken the MCAT, which is the medical school entrance exam. And I had pretty oh. good scores, good enough scores that could have gotten in somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so when I finally got divorced, I pulled out my old MCAT scores and they had just expired, like literally just oh. expired. So I thought, well, maybe, I mean, I'm 30. I'm not super young, but I'm not super old either. You know, you, you think you're old when you're 30, but you're not. You're like a little tiny baby. Um, <laughs> but but I thought, you know, I could sit for the M- MCAT again, and I could do that. I could go to medical school. I could kind of live that dream that I had had to turn away from when I was younger. And maybe this is my chance to do that. So I looked at how long that would take, and then I was talking one day to Dave Connors in our neighborhood and and said something about, you know, I, I really don't know what I'm going to do. I could go work at a lab, but I would make not very good money. I would have no job flexibility, very little upward mobility, not the kind of life I wanted to give to my kids. Like, we'd never be able to have piano lessons. I wouldn't be able to take them on trips. I wouldn't be able to do any of those things. Mm-hmm. And so... He suggested, I think, about law school, which I had never thought about before. And I said, well, I have a hard science background. Like, don't you have to be like a poli-sci major or a history major or an English major to go to law school? And he said, no, you should go talk to this other guy, his neighbor, who was a patent attorney. And I had never even heard of a patent attorney until then. And I went and talked to Craig Matson, and he... Uh talked to me, told me, yeah, you should absolutely go to law school. And I did the math and realized I could sit for the LSAT and be out of school in four years, or I could be at best two years into medical school in four years, which is nowhere near done with medical Mm -hmm. school. So the truth is, I did not go to law school for some noble save the world, you know, right all the wrongs reason. I went because it was faster. Than medical yeah. school and I could have a real job making real money long before I would ever have a job as a doctor so that all happened very fast so I decided to get divorced on the 24th of July mm-hmm. and I didn't we started the process a few weeks later and I really didn't have time to study for the LSAT because because getting divorced is hard yeah. emotionally it's just so super draining and I had a brand new baby 
And yeah. actually, the day I decided, the very day, he was not quite six weeks old, the day I decided to get divorced, my little tiny five-and-a-half-week-old baby started sleeping through the night and always has slept through the night ever since then. Oh, it was wow. like his gift to me yeah. that he knew, he knew I had so much going on. I was trying to work through and process and deal with so much that his little gift to me as a tiny baby was that he would sleep through the night. And it seems so little and so small small. unless you've had a brand new baby. And then you know how big that is. It's everything. So then I could, and I had to go immediately back to work. My um, husband at that time, he quit his job. So we didn't have health insurance. We didn't have any money. We had nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to go right back to work. So I was trying to work and have a baby, have a little baby and three other little kids and try to think about law school and try to get divorced. So I didn't study for the LSAT really at all. I walked in cold. I took the LSAT in December. Um, So right in the middle of getting divorced. My divorce was final in January. I got my LSAT scores a little while later, applied to law school, and started the next fall. Oh, my goodness. That is nuts. Um, And I worked that whole year because I had taken on um, some debt out of the divorce. Um, and I worked that whole year like a dog and my sweet parents didn't make me for Christmas. Instead of giving me a Christmas present, they gave me money so that I could buy my own Christmas presents for my kids, which was so Mm. such an amazing way for them to do that. It made me feel like I wasn't a complete failure. Like my mommy and daddy had to pay for Christmas for my kids, which of course they did. They did pay for Christmas, but they gave it to me in a way that didn't make me feel Mm-hmm. small and yucky yeah so so anyway um so I worked really really hard and I started I paid off that horrible minivan in August and I started law school the very like that very week I was at ground zero I didn't have one red cent to my name oh, wow. but I didn't owe any money anywhere but I didn't I literally didn't have ten dollars in my checking account I had no money Wow, Kara. So I started law school and then um, and then borrowed a gazillion dollars to go to law school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So most people after, I mean, every divorce is traumatizing and I, it takes years to, to get that healing. So not only are you, you know, still healing for years, you're also going to law school with four kids and, um, trying to navigate all of that how did you do that (laughs) what did you do to get through that time and and how were you able to shift your mindset about it um in a way that uh enabled you to do what you needed to do so I think being very goal focused and driven as as a younger person absolutely came in to be it was the most invaluable character trait I could have ever had mm-hmm. because all I did was just put my head down and get to work I didn't feel like I had the luxury of falling apart because I really didn't I mean I had four little kids I didn't have time to fall apart I couldn't um on the weekends when they went to see their dad then I would you know my parents again bless their hearts would listen to me try to talk through the emotions and try to figure out how I felt and try to sort through as much as I could but the truth is, having something like law school and the work of four little kids was probably my saving grace. Really? Because I always had a job to do. I always had a task to do. So I was very rarely at loose ends. And I think if you're at loose ends, at least for me, then it's much easier to kind of wallow and feel sorry for yourself and not accomplish things. But I didn't have that luxury. And I think that that really and truly made all the difference for me. So the work saved you. Yeah. And then the side benefit is that that I liked law school and I did yeah. pretty well in law school. I mean, my goal was to finish in the top half of my class. Had I gone to law school like right out of undergrad, I would have been like, I'm number one or I'm nothing, you know? Yeah. But I felt like I felt like given my circumstances, the top half would be great. And then as it turned out, I mean, I graduated in the top third of my class, which is oh, better than I had awesome. hoped for. Yeah. And, you know, I, it, it just, it really did, it, it really did save me. It gave me 
It gave me purpose. And it started, that was also another piece of what made me feel like, okay, you're not a terrible loser. Like, you can do this task. You can do this hard thing. You're doing well at this hard thing. Um, and it was that was very empowering. So I love to talk about how people uh, use goals to help themselves. And everybody does it differently. Um, what what did you do during this time? And maybe that carries on to now, too. Uh, how do you go about setting your goals and uh, just tracking them, tracking your progress with them? Um, so as a family, every year when I so one thing I do want to say is um, I wanted my kids to have a super strong family identity, even though we weren't your typical family, especially living, you know, in Farmington and Davis County and this neighborhood. We felt very abnormal, Mm -hmm. you know, to be a single parent household. So we called ourselves the Magic Five, which is what it's a term from my law school class. Actually, when you're in law school, you get put in this group of five people and you have all your classes your first year together with the idea that you'll study together. And it's kind of a built in friendship. But I appropriated the name and gave it to my family so that we are the Magic Five. And that's so definitely our brand it is our we all think of it as our brand and it has given us such a strong identity um and so you know we set family goals at the beginning of every single year and we set individual goals and i just write them down and then we talk about them and we do them i mean it's not it's not magic it's like what everyone Mm -hmm. says to do write them down and then look at them often and that's how we do it i'm a list maker like neurotic list maker like, I like to put things on my list for the day that I've already done so that I can have the satisfaction of crossing them off because yeah. I love doing that, which is totally padding. It's cheating. But um, <laughs> I, I, that, I mean, that's really it. There's no magic. It's just doing it, mm-hmm. you know, writing it down and doing it and, and being willing to make choices. You know, when I didn't have my kids in law school um, on a weekend, I would study the entire weekend. But then when I did have my kids for the weekend, when I came home from school on Friday, then we would play and we'd play on Friday and we'd play on Saturday. And if I gave myself the chance to play with them, then I would, then I could, I could let myself have those days. And then, then that was the reward for working hard when they were sleeping. So as soon as they'd go to bed, even on the weekends I had them, I would get back books and study but mm-hmm. I've been able to spend a whole bunch of time with my kids and so that was my reward for studying I love how you uh specifically set out to what mattered to you most and even with your goal to graduate in the top half I mean I like that you set that as a realistic goal for yourself so that would still set you up for success in the things that mattered most to you which was your family and creating that family culture that you wanted and I mean that enabled you to do both uh, that realistic, uh, mindset about it all. And, um, and, and the simple process too. Yeah. I, I, I think if it gets too complicated, you won't, I won't stick to it. I mean, I can't stick to it if it's too complex. And I think our culture teaches us to, to be super high achievers. Um, but in this process, I've learned that high achieving is high achieving for me and what somebody else thinks is high achieving that's not actually relevant to my high achieving, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so, and, and I mean, I'm old now. I'm 44. Those things kind of come with time. I certainly didn't feel that way when I was younger. You measure yourself by everybody else's measuring stick. But I came to the realization, I think, quicker than I would have had I not gotten divorced, that I get to hold my own stick and I get to measure my own progress. Oh, that one is really good. And 44 is still young, Kara. It is, but You're I'm not still young. Anymore, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I I wanted to ask about the goals, but I want wanted to also talk about uh, some self care. So, how did you not totally lose yourself still uh, during this time of law school um, and and trying to still balance your kids? What did you do to take care of you? Well, I I I saw a counselor off and on for a while, so and important. I did that. For a long time, yeah. Um, my my dad had this really awesome little blue two seater BMW, and he would let me drive it. And as dumb as it is, I felt not 
frumpy and momish and like I didn't wear dorky shoes and mom jeans when I was in that car I felt like a million bucks and it seemed so small but it was so huge to me mm-hmm. you know because I felt so worthless yeah I mean a lot of the reasons that my husband and I got divorced had really kind of attacked my core really really fundamental perception of myself mm-hmm. really fundamental and so, which I think is common in divorce, you, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you feel like a failure all the way around. But um, being able to drive in that car, and as dumb as it sounds, have some guy, I don't care if he was checking out the car or me, I could pretend it was me. Yeah. And it felt, it felt awesome. It felt awesome. And maybe that's not like feminist power enough. I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to say anymore. But it Who felt cares? good. Yeah, it's what you want to <laughs> yeah, say. It, exactly. It felt good to drive that car around. And and feel cute for mm-hmm. five seconds again. You know, it felt really good. Love that. Um, and then and then my mom again. My mom and dad were so good to make sure that any way that they could help me feel empowered and to feel good about myself, they did that. They did. They they made sure that I had the time and the space and the opportunity to do the things that I could. Um, for my kids and for myself so that I didn't feel like I was just a big fat moocher. Mm-hmm. And that made a huge difference in my own self-perception. Yeah. And then the one, one thing that I, I decided when I was married before, we went on one family trip. One. Mm-hmm. And I traveled a lot more when I was a kid with my family. And I decided that some of, I never wanted my kids to utter the phrase, well, I couldn't do blank because my parents were divorced like I never wanted them to say that Mm -hmm. that was such a big deal to me so one of the things that was important is that we were able to go and I I did things we couldn't have we shouldn't I shouldn't have afforded really but emotionally we had to Mm -hmm. we went on lots and lots of Grand High Adventures lots of them we we took trips all the time in fact, just before I started law school, so Spenny was still a little tiny baby. He was barely one years old. Um, and Zach was six, and Ab was five, and Ray was four mm-hmm. by then. Um, we went on a two-and-a-half-week road trip, just me in that horrible minivan with no, like, with the cranky roll-down windows and yeah. no cruise control. And we drove all the way from, from Salt Lake across to Reno and then over to the coast, and then we just wended our way down the Pacific Coast Highway for two and a half weeks. We camped, we stayed in hotels, then we'd camp again, then we'd stay in a hotel. And it was that, that trip for me was life-changing because I realized I can totally do this. I can totally do this. There's nothing that I need to do as a mom for these kids that I can't do. Wow. Well, what inspired that trip then? What made you decide to even go? Was it just like, I, I want know. this back? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I wanted to set the tone for my new family, for the Magic Five, mm-hmm. that that was the kind of family that we were, that we did stuff. We did stuff as a family. I had a, a, a really good friend um, that I had known in California who was so good at doing stuff with her kids. And I watched her, and I was so envious that she got to do stuff and it felt like we never did. And so when I got divorced, I thought about her and I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be like that. And I'm going to be like that. Even though I'm on my own, I don't have a husband to set up the tent. I mean, I bought my own tent and it's huge and it's ridiculous to set it up by myself, but I can, I put wow. Spencer in a pop-up crib and I set the tent up by myself and we camped on the beach. I mean, but it's so incredible. I don't know. I, I just really wanted I never wanted my kids to say, well, we couldn't do something because my parents were divorced. What This is just my favorite thing about you is that you don't let life happen to you. And I, I'm sure for years you did. I mean, I'm sure for much of that marriage, that was what you had handed to you. Um, that's what you had to do to survive was let life happen to you. But it seems like this, this, uh, end of the marriage and your progression after and how you chose to change your view of your own ability to change things is what really shifted. What do you want to say on that? Um, I think that, I think that you, 
you are the master of your own destiny and you get to choose for you what your life is. And that is, that's incredibly empowering. And, and I think too often it's too easy to give over to the thought that, well, this terrible thing happened to me and this horrible experience, you know, I had to, I had to have that. And those things are true and terrible and horrible things happen. But at the end of the day, you, you, you write your own story. You, you choose your own life and, and no one else really has the power to do that for you. You're the only one who does. And, you know, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of energy, but at the end of the day, your story is what you make of it. Your life is what you create. And I wanted to create something awesome. I love how intentional you are about what your vision is of what you want. And I think that's another lesson as well is you have to take that time to really think about what are your priorities? What do you envision for your life and for your family and for your career? And, And otherwise you are just letting life happen to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that that's too passive. I've never been a very passive person until I was married the first time. And then I became, because that's how I, that's how I could survive that experience. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I didn't want to be that person anymore. My dad said it was so fun to watch, watch his Kara come back as I went through this process. And that's really how it felt is I was, I was becoming me again. And, Mm -hmm. and it's not like my first husband was intentional and tried to be terrible. It's just that that that's just the way that it happened. You know, it's mm-hmm. just the thing that happened. And so I had to fight to get me back. So let's talk about after law school uh, and, you, and you launching your career. Uh, what did that look like for you? Well, it was scary because I had a job offer in San Diego mm-hmm. and the thought of moving my children away from their father and myself away from my parents and my kids away from my parents because as you can imagine by then I mean my kids and my parents are strongly bonded especially my youngest child and my my dad um they are just so close and the mm-hmm. thought of taking them away from all of that including their dad um wasn't something that that ended up being the right choice for me so i worked for a judge here. I was lucky enough to get a job with a judge here for my first year after school. And then lucky enough again to find a really good job working for an intellectual property um, boutique firm in Salt Lake. Um, And that was really, really fortunate. I interviewed kind of off cycle because I had thought I would be going to San Diego. um, And I had accepted the job at San Diego and then decided Mm -hmm. that it just wasn't the right choice. Yeah, as heartbreaking as it is to not live in San Diego, mm-hmm. it is in fact the right choice to have made. But then, anyway, I was able to find a job kind of off the hiring cycle with this firm in Salt Lake, and that was it. Was hard. I wasn't. I mean, I owed a lot of money from law school, and so I still had to rely fairly heavily on my parents to help with my kids. And I mean, I had a nanny for part of the day and part of the things that we needed, but there's always things that came up that, um, I, I just had to, I had to ask my parents for help. Mm -hmm. So how soon after you started your career, did you start thinking about dating again? Oh, I didn't want to do that at all. Yeah. I had no desire. Yeah. I, I went on a few dates I think I felt like I was supposed to do that Mm -hmm. and then eventually I got to this place where my life was awesome like my career was going well my kids were all happy I had purchased a townhome um I just I couldn't I really couldn't figure out like what I needed a husband for Mm -hmm. because I, I had it I mean I felt like I had it all relatively together and there was no reason to upset the apple cart. I mean, things are going well. I was, you know, my parents and I had luckily stayed close. I think in those situations, sometimes it'd be easy for there to be tension and rifts, but there wasn't ever. My, yeah. And so, you know, we had this great relationship and I just really felt like things were clicking along. And so I dated a couple of times, but the truth is the dating pool out there is horrible yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for the most part. I mean, it's just icky, and mm-hmm. there was no, I could see no 
reason to bring somebody into my life. So I felt like when we were the magic five, we didn't need to be the magic, some other number. We liked the magic five. So then what eventually made you change your mind on that? Kurt. Kurt made me change my mind. I wasn't looking to get married. I wasn't looking to date. Um, Kurt was very newly divorced. I actually have known Kurt since the day he was born. I remember the day he was born. I didn't know Um, this. Yep. There's a picture of me. I'm Mary in the nativity. I'm about five. And Kurt is baby Jesus. He's about six months old. So I'm both his mother and his wife, Ah! apparently. (laughs) Um, But That is good. um, he, it's Michelle Barris's joke, so I can't take credit for it, but oh, okay. it's, I think it's funny. <laughs> um, he, um, his father and my father actually knew each other even before they were married. His dad served a mission um, in Europe, and my dad was living in Europe with his family. He's a little bit younger than his dad. And so, like, my grandparents had his dad over for dinner. Like, you have the missionaries over for dinner. They had his dad over. Oh, and I love then, those connections. Both of our dads went to BYU and were in the Air Force. And when I was about four-ish, we moved to Germany and Kurt's family was there and our mothers became really close friends. And because we were in Germany and my dad's a pilot, he was always off, always TDY on trips um, because they had so much much snow they couldn't fly very much in Germany. So they were always like in Turkey or in warmer places. So the moms and kids were home alone all the time. And so I spent countless hours with Kurt's mother and his older brother. And then just a few years ago, Kurt's older brother was killed in a bike accident. And we had always stayed in touch with Kurt's parents, but not really with Kurt. His marriage was also difficult and presented some challenges for him. And so um, he was kind of isolated from his family and from friends. So I hadn't seen Kurt in a really long time. Um, but but um, when his brother passed away, we kind of reconnected and just were friends because we'd known each other since literally birth. Yeah. And then a couple of years after that, he got divorced and we started dating. And I knew, we knew within literally a day or two of our oh. first, like, hey, we're going to date and we're going to kiss each other now. Yeah. We knew we were going to get married. Oh, my gosh. That is such a good story. And so he has it's, four children, too. Yep. So what was that like? <laughs> um, it, you know, we're, we feel so fortunate. We are so dang lucky. Blending families is hard. But honestly, it's been, we just have been beyond blessed in how it's gone. We, we waited about a, over a year to get married, which mm-hmm. was super hard to wait because yeah. I really just wanted to be married. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, you've known each other for so long, too. Right. And I mean, I knew his mom and dad. I know his grandparents before they passed away. I mean, I knew, you know, I knew his whole family. But um, we, we decided that we would wait until we could get our kids feeling okay. Because, you know, like I said, mm-hmm. we were the magic five. My kids, they were like, wait we're going to change. We've always been a magic five and they weren't Mm. too sure at the beginning that that was a good idea. And his kids are younger than mine and they were just so fresh off the implosion of their family that there was a lot kind of going on in their little, in their little minds. And so we gave ourselves 14 months is how long we were engaged or how long we were just dating. And um, we got right down to just a couple of weeks before the wedding and our two middle girls, so um, our two teenage girls, my daughter Rachel and Kurt's daughter Eden, were pretty much four square against the whole thing. Everybody else was, was okay, but yeah. these two girls were not sure at all. And we were really worried because they were going to be the oldest teenagers in the house. My two older kids were, were heading off to college soon. And so we knew that those two was, would be like tone setters for the other kids so we had planned this trip to disneyland and i love disneyland and every time we walk underneath the little um the archway onto main street usa i get teared up every time we could have a five-day pass and i get teared up all five days walking underneath (laughs) that i love it so much it's so cheesy and so stupid but i love it so much well so we went to disneyland 
And I don't know, that place is truly magic because mm-hmm. those two girls who really almost couldn't stand each other at the beginning, by the end of that five-day trip, they were they had switched the beds around so they could sleep in the same bed. They bought the oh, same yeah. sweatshirts for their souvenirs, and they walked around the park arm in arm for the entire time. Oh, and sweet. that that was so amazing. Oh, I love it. And, and so how long have you guys been married now? We just barely, last Saturday, had our two-year anniversary. Well, congratulations. I mean, Kara, honestly, that is just such a huge thing and a huge accomplishment to blend a big family like yours in. I'm just really excited for you. Well, it's a lot of fun. It's busy. The kids live yeah. with us. So we have we have six at home and two in college. And it's busy. Our schedules are crazy. Um, Kurt and I both, of course, work full time. But the kids are awesome. And they pitch in. And we're a family. We are a legitimate, honest-to-goodness family of 10. And we have rebranded. We yeah. are now the perfect 10. Oh, I love it. Perfect 10. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. That is perfect. Just yeah, it is. That name. Okay, well, Kara, as as I uh, end each episode, I like to ask uh, this question, and it's, "What have you learned about yourself the past few years?" We talked about more about uh, the past, so now let's talk about more the recent few years. What have you learned? I had no idea how strong I was. There is no way I could have truly plumbed the depths of my own strength had I not had this experience. I mean, I would have had a fine life. I'm sure if I'd married, you know, someone who thought I was great the first time, I'm sure that would have been great. But I would have had no idea the power that resides within me to to do what I can do, to be who I can be, and to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. And it's not like I feel like I've accomplished everything, but I know because of the experiences I've had that I have the strength to do absolutely anything. But I wouldn't have known that otherwise. Well, Kara, I love talking to you, and I'm just really grateful that you would take the time. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you again, Kara, for being willing to share your incredible story. And I'm sure people can tell how much I was enjoying our interview on the other side of the microphone. And I can't wait to give you a big hug the next time I come to visit my hometown. If you like what you heard from Kara and want to share it with other people, please do that. You can always connect them to my website, aboutprogress.com, where they can listen to the podcast directly streaming from my website so they don't have to be on any apps at all. Show people how to get podcasts. A lot of people just don't even know how to do that. It's really simple. Uh, on On iPhones, there's this purple app that everybody has to have on their phone. It can't be taken off and it's really easy to find podcasts there. But there's so many apps for Androids as well or they can just stream it. So please share it. If you have if you have someone you'd like to highlight to be on my special do something segments that I'm now doing each month or to nominate someone to be on the show, please reach out to me at packerprogress at gmail.com. If you didn't catch it in last week's episode, I explained how instead of sharing the weekly 30-second highlight of someone's do something that scares them, I'm now going to share a little bit longer, like a 5 to 10, 15-minute interview with the person who I'd like to highlight. And I'm only doing that on my special week uh, monthly episodes that are already shorter. So it's just kind of nice to have a little bit more focus that way. Last week, I highlighted Stephanie from Eat Happy Nutrition. She was fantastic. So you should check that out if you haven't had the chance yet. I I loved interviewing her so much that I'm actually going to have her back on uh, for another episode I have coming up. Next week, I've got Jenny Camp on the show for you. This interview came from a nomination, and she was just amazing to talk to. She is very purposeful about living life with joy, despite a lot of reasons not to. She shares what it's like to start her own business, to have an entrepreneurial mind, um, how she believes mothers need their own goals and aspirations, but also how sometimes there's a time in a season. And for her right now, that that means focusing on her family and how she's been able to find so much joy in doing that too. Come back next Wednesday for that interview. And until then, take care of yourself. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.